Please turn with me now to our text in Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, every one who is found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel... Shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and the left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. And I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits, and comes to the 1,335 days. But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, if this wisest of men, one who was particularly gifted to understand vision and knowledge and prophecy, was dismayed and not able to understand these words when they were first given by the angel, How much less are we equipped of our own? But Lord, we know that there is the great promise that you have given to your people. That as we pray for the illumination of the Holy Spirit, that truly, Lord, we know that you shall speak to us and grant us its meaning. We pray, Lord, that you would. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we come to the final chapter in this great book of Daniel, so soon. And, of course, coming to the end of such a book, it is a a narrative, it is a story in, in that sense, a very true story, of course, a story of Daniel and his friends from the early days, but then it enlarges and gets bigger and bigger and bigger and includes the history that would come in the centuries yet, and then it goes all the way to the end of the world, and the, the story encompasses all things. But here we come to the end of that story, and we have to consider then how it comes to an end, because there are a few loose ends, aren't there, to tie up. When last we 
read in chapter 11, there were all sorts of loose ends. There's these prophecies of empires and revolutions and great wars. And much worse than that, there's a specific prophecy of this very wicked, satanic figure who's just absolutely destroying God's people. This anti-Christian figure, which we know had partial fulfillment in Antiochus Epiphanes. In this great time of trouble and persecution with God's People And it seemed that no one was able to stop him and all of his evil plans. He was able to come marching into the, the holy place and to destroy the people. And then we have this chapter. It's the end. And we have these things and, and we, we wonder how is the story. Daniel wonders how the story is going to end. And, and there it is. And, and it goes like this. Here's the end of the story. Then the great prince, your prince, shall stand up. He will crush his enemies, he will reward his saints, and he will bring in the everlasting kingdom. The end. That's it. Needless to say, a very happy ending. It is like a a, a great epic. Of course, a true one. Based Every good epic is based on the true one of Scripture. That for a time, it seemed like nothing could help. It, it seemed like things were very dark indeed. And how, was the pe- how were the people of God going to be rescued? How was the good side going to win? How are all these things going to become untangled and resolved? It seemed all completely imperfect and very dark and foreboding. And then the end comes. And the resolution is swift and complete and glorious. And so it is here in Daniel chapter 12. It is a happy ending. And we're reminded that we, who are believers, we have, we are part of this story that has a very happy ending. And so we'll focus mainly, although it encompasses the whole chapter, it's not a long chapter, but we'll focus mainly on the first few verses. And the sermon is entitled, The Happy Ending. And the points are, your prince shall stand, the dead shall rise, and go your way. That's what's going to happen. That's what the happy ending, the prince shall stand, the dead shall rise, but you go your way. So first, the prince shall stand. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands, watch over the sons of your people. And the question is, who is this great prince who stands, watch over the sons of your people? Now, one of the useful aspects of the authorized and the, uh, the, King, uh, the New King James um, are the italics that we have in the text. It tells us this is an interpolation. This is not, strictly speaking, something in the original. It's, it's the interpreters, the translators trying to make sense of the text, and so they supply a word that's not there. All it is is the prince who stands over the prince of the sons of your people. Well, how are we to take it? Well, they took it as they stand watch. Well, the ESV puts it, the great prince who has charge of your people. He stands over in the sense of having authority over them. And I actually think that that's probably the case, that that's, that's the way it is. You know, this one that we're speaking of, this great prince, referred to in, in back in Daniel chapter 8, verse 25, through his cunning he shall cause the seed to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes. Prince of princes, there he is. We know that's Christ. And then in Daniel chapter 10, verse 21, but I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. 
Again, who is a prince of the church? Who is a prince of God's people? It could be none other than Christ Jesus. And so we understand in Revelation 12, verse 7, you remember, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Who has the power to defeat Satan? Who has the honor of being the one who's going to cast him out of heaven? No created being, no angel. It is Christ Jesus himself. He is the great warrior, king, who casts out Satan, who wins this great battle. And so it is Christ. And particularly in the aspect, we know that the, the multiplicity of the pictures that we have in, of Christ throughout all of Scripture are there to show us aspects of his being, to show him aspects of his, his great attributes, because not one single picture, not one single name, one single title could possibly do it justice. And we have here him as his, his role as the great warrior, as the great leader of his people. And perhaps a better word is an alternative translation of prince, which is captain. Hebrews 2.10, For it was fitting for him, for whom all things, and, are by, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. That's what we have here. Your great captain. Your general shall stand at the end, and he shall rule. Now, as I say, this great prince, this captain, he shall arise at the end, and I don't want us to get the idea that he is now idle, that currently he's idle, and then he's going to stand up and, and actually start doing something. We know that even now he ever lives to make intercession for us. We know that right now he says, I have gone to prepare a place for you. That is what he's doing. He's preparing a place for us, and it is some place. He's building his church even now. He says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He, he is this great church. is on the move. It is continuing to gather people. It is coming to the strong man. And he is beating the strong man. And he's taking the captives and bringing them into the church. In addition, of course, this is all in addition to him upholding all things, the whole universe, by the word of his power. He governs everything. But at the end... He will come in his great power in the most visible and final way. So it is not that he's idle now, but then he shall arise in a new and different way. He will come in his power to put a final end between this war, between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. You remember that war that Satan decided to start a long time ago in the garden. As he came to tempt, he came to lie, he came to murder our first parents, and so he did. And since that time until now... There has been a war between the seed of the woman and the seed of the, woman, uh, and the, seed of the serpent. And we know that that, that that serpent is going to be crushed. Well, finally, that's going to happen in all of its totality when he stands up in the end and comes in his glorious power. And when he comes, when he stands, no one will stand before him. That's the thing. Right now, there are those who oppose him. We know this is anti-Christian figure who is, is given power by Satan, he stands up even against the prince of princes. And we have, as it were, the, the Lord sitting and watching this happen as, as, someone, as Satan and all of his allies rage against him. And then he has enough, and he stands up. And no one stands against him. No one is able. That's what it says in Revelation 6. 
And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the, the mountains and the rocks, what did they say? Do you know what they said? Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. And the question is, little ones, the question is, who is able to stand? Who is able to stand then before our great and mighty prince? That's why we need never fear. Because he's so mighty. Even as he comes as a lamb. And the kings of the earth tremble underneath the rocks because of this mighty lamb. Well, what's going to happen when he stands? Well, no one else can stand before him and all flee from his presence. And to add to it, his people are going to be delivered. You see, that's the thing, that every act of judgment is also an act of redemption. And every act of redemption is also an act of judgment. We sometimes think of these things as completely distinct, but they're not. They're always two sides of one coin. So even as, as the world is, well, even as Noah and, and his family are rescued, so the world is destroyed. Even as, as God's people are, are, are redeemed from the land of Egypt and they cross over on the dry land, what happens then to the unbelieving world around them, to the enemies of God who are seeking to come and destroy them? Well, they are all destroyed. The waters fall upon them and not one of them survive. And so shall it be at the end. This great act of salvation for God's people and also an act of judgment against all the enemies of God. This is what will happen when this great king, this great captain, arises and stands to fight. Well, the, other, the next thing that's going to happen in this happy ending, this conclusion to all these things, secondly, the dead shall rise. In verse 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, this wording of those, uh, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth can well be taken as all of those, of course, as pointing to just how many of them that are there. We know, of course, that at the end, every last body, every last one who's ever lived, they will uh, rise in that resurrection. And those who sleep in the dust of the earth is the, the, met, is the way that it's sometimes described, particularly Particularly for, not, not that their soul sleeps, their, their body is there. Because, of course, at the moment it is inanimate, it is, it is dead. But it, they await, every body awaits the resurrection, which they will be reunited with their souls. Again, some to everlasting life and some to hell. First Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. Why does he come with the voice of the archangel? Does he have a, a, a mouthpiece? Does he have a, 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 a spokesman who's working for them at the time? No, he is the archangel. He is the chief of all the angels. He comes with his great and mighty voice because, of course, he is Michael, the chief of all. And he comes with his voice and he speaks. Jesus says, you know, in, in John that he's going to speak That's the power that the Father has given to him. He's going to say the words, and all the tombs, all the graves, all of the world will immediately be empty. He will call them forth, just as easily as he did on that day with Lazarus, this one man who is dead. 
And he was warned. By this time, he stinks because he's been dead four days. And all he does is say, Lazarus, arise. He who was dead wakes up. He's alive. And then on the last day, he will speak to the whole earth. And every last one who has ever lived, they will come forth either to uh, to be reunited with their, their, the, the ones who are already in heaven, who come down with him and are risen to, to uh, redemption or those who are risen to judgment. And there it is, to some to shame and some to everlasting contempt. You know, that's a, an element that we've not, I don't think I've, I've rightly considered. We normally think of judgment and hell. We normally think of pain. We think of the great pain of hell. We think of the darkness of hell. We think of the coldness and, and loneliness and all the rest of these things, of enduring the wrath of God, the wrath of the Lamb. These things, of course, are the most terrible elements of it. But there's one other thing that maybe we should think about, which is shame. It is an extremely shameful condition, an infinitely shameful condition to be under the judgment of God forever, to be in hell. That's what they're rising to, not to a place of honor, but to a place of contempt and shame. That's what what Christ will have towards these people. That's what we will have, indeed, because we will have the mind of Christ And those, many of whom in this world had great positions of authority, had great positions of honor in this world, they will rise to contempt and everlasting shame. That is just one more element of the reversal. Jesus says that those who are first shall be last, and those who are last shall be first. We just, we remember even reading the gospel, the great reversal of these things, that very often it is those who have so much in this world, those who are so great, those who are so rich and so self-sufficient and powerful, they don't seek for salvation, they don't come to Christ. They have all their good things, and they don't think they need anything else. Well, on the other hand, we know that God's people are very often in contempt, aren't we? That what we believe, and I think the days, unfortunately, if the Lord does not act to change it, will be even more so in the future. That our, tr- our religion, those who believe the truth of, of God's word, will be held in contempt more and more by the unbelieving world around us. But that's going to change soon enough, brothers and sisters. We have to understand. There is a resurrection. And at that resurrection... Those will be those enemies of God, those who do not put their faith in Christ, will, raise, will come to shame and everlasting contempt. But on the other hand, there will be some coming to everlasting life, God's people, the believers. Those are, they're described as this, those who are wise. It reminds us of the wise and foolish virgins in the, the Gospel of Matthew. Those who are wise, those who, when, they, when the, the Lord comes and speaks to them, are obedient. They, they obey with a voice of faith and they receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And they have the Holy Spirit in them, the, the wise. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. It's worded very interestingly. They shall shine. And it reminds me of, of how indeed the, the creation itself awaits in Romans, awaits uh, the, revela- the revealing of the glory in, in God's people. 
Because we already have this everlasting life. If we're believers, we already have this Holy Spirit. That Christ is already united with us as a transcendently glorious Son of God and the Holy Spirit. They are already part of us, you see. And so if we could see us as we are, we would see this. And so it's not that some new thing is being imparted upon us. It's not that we are being dabbed with, with, with stardust or something like that at the end. It is rather that what we are, what we have been made in Christ, is being revealed and then we'll shine. Again, like the resurrection, uh, or rather the, uh, the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, seeing Christ, he was veiled in his state of humility. We couldn't see him. No one could see him as he was. And then that veil was lifted, and, and he's transcendently glorious and beautiful. And it's not just him, is it? There are some, some men who are next to him, Moses and Elijah, also share in that transcendent gloriousness, and that they shine like the stars of heaven, don't they? They already have this resurrection body. And why it is that those two is a subject for another day, but we know that we're going to be like them. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. That means the heavens. That means the heavens above, the firmament above the earth. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is parallelism. Uh, the, the wise... They're, the, the, they're, like, they're shining like the brightness of the firmament, like the stars forever. That's, that's our future. That's what we're going to look like. That's what we're going to be like. And all the purity of the stars. Isn't that a wonderful and glorious picture? No imperfection to be found there. Just this glorious light. And all their various and their varieties. God in his goodness didn't make all the stars to be exactly the same. Some of them shine greater than others. Slightly different colors and all the rest of it. They're all beautiful. They're all like diamonds. And that's what's going to happen to us in this resurrection. We will be raised in honor. Now, again, we could say that some are going to be raised in more honor than others. We just heard again in in the other reading that, that there will be rewards in heaven and there will be differential God and his, his justice and grace will hand out in accordance with his own, own plan those who he has used to bring glory to himself in differential ways. We all receive something. We know all the parables, some, some this much. Some only have this many cities, and some have five, and some have ten. Some is thirtyfold, some sixty, some a hundredfold. And so we know that there will be differential levels of honor given. But the point is, and as we, we know from Jonathan Edwards, There's not the slightest chance that any of us will envy one another. Of course, because we know that the ones who are raised to the greatest heights will also be the most humble. And and, and every last one of us indeed be filled to the greatest extent of the joy that we are capable of. We will be like the stars shining in the brightness of the firmament. Well, that is, of course, the great part of this happy ending. Christ is going to arise, he's going to scatter his enemies, and we are going to be brought to great honor and glory, and his enemies will be brought to shame. But in the meantime, what then? What about us? What are we supposed to do in the meantime? Well, that's the third point. Go your way. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the end of the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase But you go your way until the end. 
And then this further exchange at the end of the chapter, although I heard, I didn't understand. And I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? Well, you almost want to say, Daniel, you just heard it. You know what the end is going to be. It's going to be a happy ending. You just saw that he's going to arise and he's going to, there's going to be the resurrection of the dead and, and the judgment and all these things are going to be brought out. What do you mean the end? Well, Daniel is naturally focused on what's going to happen to his people in the more immediate future, in the centuries to come, in the abomination of desolation. He's still not clear how that's all going to uh, be resolved because it seems to him that we've skipped right on to the end. What happens to them at that time? It's not clear to him how it's going to be resolved and when. He's very worried about it. So in verse 11, the angel says this, and by the way, going back to this morning's sermon, that's not a bad concern to have. He's concerned about the fate of God's people. That's okay. In verse 11, from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is who he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. All that's related to the prophetic, the seven prophetic years that are referred to earlier in Daniel, the three and a half years, that is half of seven that is referred to in this chapter, and the, 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 the basic idea that things are going to be bad for a time, very bad for a time. But that time is finite, it is limited, and then the end will come, the fulfillment, the completion of these things. Now, we understand that most prophecy has a, a, a double fulfillment, an intermediate fulfillment in, the, in history, and then a final fulfillment later on. And I'm sure that there's more than an element of that here, that we have the Antichrist figure, Antiochus Epiphanes, raging against the, the church, uh, the, the, the people of God and the, the centuries between, uh, you know, in the time after Daniel and before the, the coming of Christ. But I think, of course, there's a further fulfillment of that. There are many places, certainly in Matthew 24, where we get the very distinct impression that things are going to be even worse towards the end. That right before Christ returns, things will get even worse for the church. And the persecution will look the darkest. Of course, in some sense, it has to. That's the beauty of this story, because things are going to look really bad towards the end. And then, and then... Christ comes in all of his, his glory and power and all of the horrible things that we thought were going to happen, just like it was again with the flood. It seemed apparently there was one believing family left in the whole earth. Have you thought about that? In the great wickedness, there's one, not just one church left, there's only one family left who believes. And even they, they have their problems, right? Then, then what about then we have the, the situation of the Exodus? You have one section of this, the world, the Egyptian world, only those who live in Goshen, the, the people of God, they are there. And things look really, really bad for them. Things have been better for them early on in history, actually. They were treated well by the previous dynasty. But actually, increasingly, they've been trying to kill them. And increasingly, in fact, they're just, all other intermediate steps are forsaken, and they just send the entire army of the superpower out to slaughter them all. But then that's the reversal. That's the moment of salvation. And I think that they're more, more than likely there are indications throughout Scripture that that's the way it's going to be towards the end. Well, what is required of God's people at such a time, in such a situation? The answer is given, wait, endure. Blessed is he who waits and comes to that end. Because the Lord is faithful. He will rescue them. And we are told we are encouraged to endure faithfully to the end. We must carry on faithfully 
into the end. We do not have, of course, the power ourselves to change history in this, that sense. We just cling to the promises and we pray. We wait faithfully. And then in verse 9, getting back to the, the larger point here, go your way, Daniel. For the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white and refined. There again, it is not just that we will become shining bright as the stars. It is that we are being made white. Even now, as we are being called to Christ and we are being washed in the shed blood of Christ. And the Holy Spirit is doing His work on us and making us pure. Washing away our sins. Making us in the image of Christ. We are being made into this glorious image right now. That is the work That has been going on. He said many. That's going to happen too. Many are going to be made white. Many are going to be refined. Even in the midst of many trials. The wicked shall do wickedly. That's going to happen. None of the wicked shall understand. But the wise shall understand. This situation will carry on to the end. There will be this opposition. And and we can try to explain the word of God as best we know how. But those who do not have the Holy Spirit, those whom the Lord has not opened their eyes, they will not be able to understand. And they will oppose us. And then again in verse 13. But you go your way till the end. For you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Because God is sovereign. And all things are in his hands. We, what about us? We do our part in the generation. We do our our little bit. We have our part in this wonderful play. We all do. And none none of it, not a bit of it, will be forgotten. All of it is with its significance. You see, as God works through us. Yes, He has ordained. He has decided the end of all things, the fate of all men. He knows the time of the end. and, And these things are not in our hands. But He works through means. He works through us. And we, as for us... We could be preoccupied with what is yet going to happen. We could be paralyzed by fear and anxiety of these things. But the word to us is, go your way. Do the work that I've called you to do. Serve your generation while you have life. And then you'll rise to your inheritance at the end. It's a wonderful word. It perfectly encapsulates that balance between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. These great things are not in our hands to do. Michael, our prince... The prince of princes, the captain of our salvation, he's going to take care of it all. But as for us, we have this little thing that we need to do. We have these errands that he wants us to run. In fact, he says, "Until what, am I, what are we supposed to do, Lord, until you come back? You remember, he says, occupy, do business till I come. Do the work that I have assigned to you, the work of the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God. Always are saying the same thing. And then... We rest. We rest in heaven and our souls, and we rise with our bodies to an everlasting inheritance in the new heavens and the new earth. That, brothers and sisters, is a happy ending. It, it really is. What, what's going to happen tomorrow? Forget about that. What's going to happen at the end? We, we should think about that, shouldn't we? We should consider the wonderful, happy ending that God has ordained for his people. Now, the application is very simple. There's just two of them. There's a challenge and there's comfort. That's what this is all about, challenge and comfort. We see this happy ending coming. And for for those who haven't put their faith in Christ, it's very simple. The end is near. Repent. The Lord is coming. These things, we don't know how long it's going to be. We've come to the... Look, it seems like we just started, Daniel. Now we're at the end. 
One day I'm going to close this Bible for the last time. One day you're going to do the same thing. Then what? That day is not very far away for some of us. And what we should do is repent and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this captain of our salvation, this one who comes speaking words of truth and of the good news of, of the gospel. That's a great thing. Every, each and every time that you ever hear a warning, whenever you hear a hellfire and brimstone sermon, you think of the mercy and grace of God given to you, that there is yet another day of salvation, a day to repent, that the end has not yet come yet. But it is coming. And there will be no more time when these, the dead are, when those, those people, even in Daniel's generation, they, they died. There's no further opportunity. They will simply await. Even now, they, they are in hell. And they will await the resurrection of the dead to shame and contempt in their bodies. There's no further opportunity. And the challenge for us, very simply, is that you ought to repent. And of course, the challenge for Christians, and what should we do? We should, this is the word to Daniel, it's the word to us. We should be faithful. This, this generation, I think, particularly needs to be prepared for that. Thankfully, we're beginning, I think, to move beyond this, this foolish idea of, of cultural relevance and all the rest of it, of trying to, as Christians, trying to look as much like the world as we possibly can get away with. It's bizarre. It has no place in, in the word of God. There's no warrant in it in the slightest. But it's going to be overcome by events anyways. So the Lord doesn't do a great work soon. It won't be a matter of us trying to, to have a, a say at the table. As, as, uh, there was a good article on this recently that a lot of us read. It's not a matter of us just scrounging to have a say at the table for some people to notice us. Rather, it's a matter of active, full-on opposition. And it, it, it would be a matter simply of asking to be left alone is the issue. Well, if that is the case, what is re- requisite to us? It's the word that is given. And we should go our way. We should be faithful. We should say, blessed is the one who endures to the end of these things. Because for a while, there's going to be persecution. We know that's for all of us. He said, if you want to live faithfully in this world, you will endure persecution of various kinds. That's, that's reality. And if nothing else, of course, we're going to, that warfare continues on. We can't exempt ourselves. between The war between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent hasn't been ended yet. We wish it would. We're looking for the day that our prince comes, our captain comes, and he, he puts an end to that war once and for all. But right now, we're not exempt. The world... The flesh and the devil, we're warring in those things, you see. That's the, the use of this book of the quarter. Precious remedies against Satan's devices, you know. And we need to be faithful. We need to endure to the end. That's, what's, we're, that, that, that's what we're challenged to do by all this. But secondly, I would say, and mainly, and I think this is the great thrust of all this, is comfort for God's people. Interesting what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4. I'll, I'll read actually the rest of it. I didn't read all of it. But 1 Thessalonians four sixteen. Then the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice, the archangel, and with a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive, notice by the way Paul, we, has he, he didn't know when it was going to come, so he might as well just include himself in that. 
We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we shall be always with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That's the use of thinking about the end. That's the use of this eschatology, this theology and teaching about the end times. It is to comfort one another with these words. And my word to you is a word of comfort. And I wonder how often we do comfort one another. If that's the command of God, are we obedient to that? Do we truly comfort one another? Do we say when someone is being anxious and somebody is looking at the dark situation and difficult times that we're enduring, do we say, brother... Michael the Prince shall arise. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming. And he will bring an end to all of this. And he will win. He will conquer all of of your enemies and my enemies and all of his enemies. And we shall ever be with the Lord. That day is coming. We who remain, we who are alive and remain, shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Because that's important, isn't it? It's not that we're without the Lord now. He says he's not going to leave us orphans. He sends us a comforter. The Holy Spirit to be with us. And there will never be an intermission. Whether we live or whether we die or whether the Lord returns, not a single moment will we be apart from the Lord. Now we have him. Now we have the Lord Jesus through the Holy Spirit, through his word and his spirit. We have him. And, and if we die, we will be with him. We'll be ushered immediately into paradise as Abraham was. You remember, you don't go alone. That's, that's for the rich man who didn't believe. He gets kicked to the can and thrown into the rubbish heap. But there is an honor guard. There is the angels who escort Lazarus, who was so dishonored in this world. The honor guard of angels brings him to paradise, to Abraham's bosom. To be in his, his, his soul, to be with the Lord there. And we know in Revelation, that's where they are. And they're waiting yet for this end to come. But even if the Lord shall return, well, that's even better. Because we shall meet him in the air and we shall always be with the Lord. And therefore, comfort one another with these words. I know that every believer, every one of us, who knows the Lord Jesus Christ and New Spirit speaks to us that we can receive comfort from such things. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we must admit that even after going through the entire book of Daniel, we do not understand every last detail of these things. We cannot with 100% certainty identify every element of these prophecies. But Lord, how thankful we are that the end of these things, the point of these things, could not be made any clearer. There is a happy ending. Christ shall come. Michael, the great prince, shall arise. And we shall be saved. And all of his enemies shall be crushed. And we shall be awoken, brought to everlasting glory, and we shall shine like the stars in the firmament, Christ himself as the sun, and we as the stars of the sky. Lord, we are thankful for the comfort of these things, and how we pray, Lord, that we'd not forget them, even in the darkest of days, but rather our hearts would be filled with them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.